Well, hey, Convergent Church, as always, it's great to be with you this morning as we gather together with one voice to lift high the name of Jesus, the only name that can save. And if we've never had the privilege of meeting, my name is Dan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Convergent Church, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I have today to point you to Jesus. And today is a big day. Where are my Lions fans at? All right, all right. That's what I like to hear. Tonight's the big night. The Lions take on the 49ers. We're just one game away from the Super Bowl. Who has them going all the way, right? I mean, I want to have them going all the way, but I've been a Lions fan long enough that I'm like, you know, so we'll take it. Cor- well, yeah, well, I'm ready. I'm ready for glutton for punishment. We'll take, we'll take it one stride at a time today. Um, but earlier this week, I was reflecting on some of the, the great Detroit sports teams over the years, because it's been a while since we've had one. Um, And being a basketball guy, being a millennial, one thing comes to mind, and that's the 2004 Detroit Pistons. Yes, my people. I knew knew today was going to be a good day. Uh, That's the year that they squared up against the Los Angeles Lakers, a star-studded team in the NBA Finals. And the unanimous consensus around the sports world was that the Pistons didn't stand a chance, right? They, the, the Lakers were highly favored. The Lakers had, had won the finals three of the last four years, and they were led by the dynamic duo of all-time greats, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. And that year in particular, they had actually doubled up, adding Carl Malone and Gary Payton to the mix. Those, so count that up. That's four Hall of Famers on one team squaring off against our Pistons. And then there were our Pistons. They were a a young team with a new core that didn't really have any noteworthy players. In fact, the starting lineup was a a group of misfits that were actually devoid of any star power. You had Ben Wallace. He was an undrafted, grossly undersized center. You had Rasheed Wallace, a, a, a troublemaker who... It once held the, the record for the most technical fouls in a season. He had 41 technical fouls. He averaged more technical fouls that season than he did steals. <laughs> and then there was Tayshaun Prince, who wasn't even a rotation player the year before. And then you had Rip Hamilton, who had already had some serious injuries in his young career. And then there was Chauncey Billups, who that year, it was his, it was his fifth year and his fifth team right? So this isn't a team that many would look at as being poised to take it all the way. This is what became dubbed as a David versus Goliath matchup. But the Pistons would go on to defeat the Lakers four games to one in a five-game series, becoming NBA champions. And throughout the postseason, the, the Laker locker room was rife with turmoil because what was happening is you had two guys that were squaring off against one another, trying to determine who's the leader of the team, right? Who's the bigger star? Who's more valuable? Who gets more touches? While the Pistons, on the other hand, were marked by their humility, their selflessness, their hard work. You see, in the absence of any star power, each player had to really double down on the thing that made them unique. The one thing that they contributed to the team. And you see, through their embracing of their unique role and working as a team, through their collaborative efforts, they achieved what many had considered to be impossible. 
Together they accomplished what one of them could never have done on their own. Because you see that collaboration is the fuel that enables ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Collaboration is the fuel that enables ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Well, if you're just jumping in with us over these past few weeks, we've been working through a series that we've titled Values, and we've been working through our core values as a church. Thus far in the series, uh, we've discussed our value of the gospel. We've talked about community. We've talked about transparency. Last week, we talked about gospel conversations, and today we'll be examining our value of collaboration, which we would define in this way. Because the church is founded upon the gospel, we are united in the gospel. The gospel frees us for kingdom work and collaboration with others. That's to say, as a church, we value working with other local churches, networks, and ministries to more effectively reach our city and ultimately the nations with the gospel. This includes, but it's certainly not limited to um, praying together, serving with one another, resourcing one another until the day comes when every knee bow and every tongue confesses here in the city of Owasso that Jesus is Lord. That is our aim. So the question for us this morning is this. In what ways does the, does the gospel compel you and I towards collaboration? In what way does the gospel compel you and I towards collaboration? Last week, we talked about our value of gospel conversation and how the way in which each person is saved from their sin and enters the kingdom of God is through their personal decision to believe the gospel and to follow Jesus. But here's the deal. When you come to faith, it's not just you and Jesus. In fact, it's not even just you and Convergent Church this morning. God has something much bigger, much better in store. So in what ways does the gospel compel you and I towards collaboration. Our first point this morning is this. The gospel makes us family. The gospel makes us family. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen behind me. And in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 12, we read this. Remember that you were at that time, at one time, separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here, Paul calls the Ephesian church and you and I alike to remember. And what is it that we are to remember? He says that at one time, we were separated from God. We were estranged 
We were enemies of his kingdom. We were separated from him. But even more than that, we see at the end of verse 12 that we were without hope and without God. Paul's effectively saying, listen, you guys, at one time, y'all were a bunch of heathens headed straight for hell. Encouraging, right? That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's speaking to the reality of how we had all separated ourselves from God through our sin. We were sinners by nature and enemies of his kingdom. Each and every one of us had rebelled, right? We had broken his commandments. We had squandered his blessings. At one time, we were all actively, literally living under the curse of sin and death, awaiting judgment, condemnation, and damnation to hell for all eternity. That was our trajectory, and we were powerless to change it. Paul's saying, church, take time to remember this reality. But get this, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. A greater word has never been spoken. Well, what remained for us was only pain eternally and punishment. Because of God's love and desire to be with us, he made a way to right all of my and your wrongs. He sent his only son down from heaven to earth to keep the commands that we had, that we had broken and to endure the just punishment for our sin, namely death. Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross effectively forgives the sin and appeases the Father's wrath towards all who will place their faith in Jesus' sacrifice. And Jesus' resurrection from the grave was certain victory over death, over sin, for all who will trust in him, securing for us eternal life in heaven. We who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been reconciled to our heavenly Father. But Paul goes on to say it did even more than that, right? It's not just that we've been reconciled to God, but we've actually been reconciled to one another. Paul says God has made peace amongst us. He's broken down the things that once divided for us. He's done away with the hostility. He's made us both one. Though we're from different ethnicities, coming from different tribes with different traditions, flowing from different cultures, we've been made one family in Christ. And we each have the same direct access to our Heavenly Father through the Spirit of God. This is good news. He said, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Guys, the gospel makes us family. By the cross, we've not just been saved unto Jesus, but we've been made citizens of the same heavenly kingdom and members of his spiritual family. Now, let's consider the, the ramifications of that on a micro and macro level. So on a micro level, just take a moment and just look across this room, right? It's not rhetorical, like do it. Just take a minute, <laughs> take a minute, look across the room. Not many of us knew each other a year ago. Heck, Convergent Church didn't even exist three years ago. So what are we doing here? We all come from different families with different socioeconomic backgrounds. 
We live in different neighborhoods on different sides of the tracks. We work different vocations and have vastly different interests. For just a moment, think about really just how eclectic of a group we are that's gathered here today. And I'll be honest, I don't have much in common with any of (laughs) y'all. And you guys don't have much in common with one another. But what we do have in common is Jesus, and that amounts to literally everything. Both in this life and the next, because the gospel makes us family. We serve the same God with the same heavenly hope set before us. We bear each other's burdens, and we meet each other's needs. So right now, look at the nearest guy to you and say, what's up, bro? Look at, there you go. Look at the nearest lady beside you say, what's up, sis? What's good? Because the gospel has made us family. Now let's consider this on a macro level. This isn't just the case for the people in this room because we've been united with all believers who have ever lived, who are living, and who will ever live throughout all of human history, spanning across the entire globe. That's to say, church, we belong to a global family. That means regardless of what city, state, or even nation you may find yourself in 10 years from now, you're going to have family there, just as you have family here. You're going to have people there who will love you, serve you, and care for you, just as the people in this room here are today, because the gospel makes us family. Now, for a moment, I want you to think about your biological family. Some of you are like, I'd rather not. (laughs) For a moment, think about your biological family. You have an inextricable bond to your family. You come from the same lineage. You you share the same genetics. You uh, share a similar resemblance. You even share some of the same mannerisms. I see this all the time in my six-month-old, which is crazy because she's only six months old. She hasn't really learned anything (laughs) at this point. But even at this age, there's no denying that she is ours. She, She thrashes in her sleep like dad. She cannot stand having her feet covered like her mom. And she cannot maintain her composure at the sound of any fart noise. If that's not a baby Damron... I'm really not sure what is. But now think about your broader family, right? We're just on the other side of the holidays. When many of us gathered together with our families for Christmas, we had different family reunions. While you share the same lineage, lineage, genetics, resemblance, and even some mannerisms, while you have this undeniable bond, does everyone in your family agree about everything? (laughs) Anyone? All right. Absolutely freaking not. That's just not how it works. I don't know about your family specifically, but what I do know about every family is that every family falls somewhere on the spectrum of crazy when everyone gets together, right? So if you thought it was just you, it's not. You're in good company this morning. We all come from from crazy families, I, I promise. You can take a deep breath, right? When we're together, we disagree about politics. You've got... MAGA hats on one, hat, on one side, and you've got Build Back Better masks on the other side. You've got Wolverine fans, and you've got Spartan fans. And don't even, you know, not to mention throwing in religion into the equation. Do you guys all agree on everything at that point? But while you may not agree on everything, it makes you no less family because it's literally in your bones. 
Jesus' church is the same way. In Ephesians 4, Paul explains it this way. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are a diverse family who has been inextricably connected together by the gospel. We may disagree and even debate some of the finer points of doctrine with other Christians, but that makes us no less family. Now, for some of you who who may be more theologically astute in the room, you may be cringing right now and thinking, man, sounds really great, but where's the line at, pastor? You know, there's not all the churches out here preach the gospel, not all the churches out here abide with the wise counsel of the, of the word of God. What about those? And to that, I'd say you're absolutely right. So, so what are the metrics for discerning who is our family? What is the, the metrics for discerning the wheat from the tares, the, the authentic from the counterfeit, the true churches from the false churches? I put together a short list of some of the non-negotiables. These are the things that all true churches would believe. So if you want to go ahead, right here at the top, we, we see the full deity and humanity of Jesus. That's to say, all true churches will believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Next, we see the Trinity, the, the reality that as Christians, we serve one God who's manifested himself in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there's justification by faith alone. That is to say, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, apart from any good deeds that we could ever do, apart from any works of the law. Then there's creationism. Our world exists because God himself spoke it into existence. And then we have the authority of scripture. The Bible is the very word of God. It is entirely true and without error, both in doctrine and in practice. Anyone who believes these things, all churches who would profess these things, we would consider family. But contrastingly, anyone who doesn't believe these things is not a Christian church. In fact, they are a different false religion. So then we could go down to the next tier, right? So this, is, this part right here, we would say, is same family. But then if we go down to the next tier, we'd see different church. And a few examples of this would be baptism, right? Do we, do we sprinkle or do we immerse? Is baptism for infants or is baptism for believers? We'd see gender roles, right? Can, can women be pastors or can women be elders or can women be deacons in the church? And then there's ecclesiology. That's just a fancy word that says, how should the church be structured and governed, right? These are the things that um, often manifest themselves in different churches. These are the non-essentials, sometimes referred as, to as secondary doctrines, because we don't have to be united on these to be united in Christ, though it may mean that we worship in different places, in different denominations. So depending on how we disagree here, um, we, we may not be comfortable coming together for like a community-wide worship gathering, but we could still come together and we could pray. We could still come together and we could, we could serve our city together because we're the same family, just a different tribe. Think of these like your, your, your crazy aunts and uncles, <laughs> Right? You know that they're well-intended, even if they're a little bit uninformed. <laughs> so that's kind of our relationship amongst differing churches and amongst differing denominations. Um, these, are, these are all things um, that 
we would say these people are still in the household of God. This is still our family. And then we move into the next year from different church. We have um, agree to disagree. Some examples of this would be eschatology. That's to say, when and what will it look like when Jesus returns to this earth? Then we've got Bible translations. Should we read the English Standard Version? Should we read the King James Version? Should we read the New International Version? Should we read the, the New Living Translation? Or something else altogether? And then the miraculous gifts. That would be, are the supernatural gifts like tongues and healing still available and active in the church today, or have they ceased? These are the things that we would consider open-handed issues. These are things that people, even within this room, would disagree on, but we have much more in common, so we opt to partner together. We can confidently partner together in all gospel works together here at Convergent Church. With this in mind, we strive to echo the ethos of St. Augustine when he declared, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. We unify around these essentials. We leave room for liberty in these secondary issues. And through it all, we extend love because the gospel has made us family. Now that we've laid a firm foundation to build on, let's continue to our next point this morning, which is this. The gospel has made us counterparts. The gospel has made us counterparts. If you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, and we'll be reading um, primarily verses 15 through 20. 1 Corinthians 12. I'll start, uh, I'll read verse 12, and then we'll skip forward a little bit. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. Then skipping down to verse 15. If a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is written, there are many parts, yet one body. I love the way that Paul illustrates this. So the church is like a body. It's made up of these individual parts with distinct functions, and these parts work together to make up the whole as Christians, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are made a member of his body, and we're each given a specific, complementary spiritual gift for the building up of his church. That's to say, no person and no gift is indispensable. Furthermore, if we all possessed the same gift, there would be no body and thus no functionality. So while one gift in and of itself is insufficient, together, church, we are unstoppable. Here are a list of gifts that are put forth in the Bible. We see prophecy. We see serving. We see teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues and helps. At a micro level, later this year, as your elders, we're actually gonna be helping you discover your spiritual gifts so you can serve out of the overflow of how God has naturally 
wired you, how he's intricately wired you. Because here's the deal. When you're serving out of your giftedness, when you're serving out of your spiritual gift, you're not going to burn out because the work that you're doing actually fills you. It's, like, it's what makes you get up in the morning. So we're excited for that. But the point is, I have one of those gifts. You have one of those gifts. But in reality, we need all the gifts, not only represented in our body here, but functioning in our body to effectively carry out the work that Jesus has called us to do in our city. Because God has made us counterparts, meaning that you and I, we quite literally complete one another. But now let's zoom out a little bit and let's discuss this on a macro level again. As God apportions a spiritual gift to each believer, I believe he works through the collective gifts in each local church to manifest a particular anointing. Some of you are like, huh? <laughs> Let me state that more plainly. Each individual local church typically does one thing really well. Each local church typically does one thing really well. When I think about each church here in the city of Owasso, while there may be many things that I don't particularly love, or I'd go, ah, I'd do that different, there's always one thing that they're just absolutely crushing it at. So for instance, there's the brain church. They're the church that's taking people deep into theological truth, seeking to present everyone mature in Christ. And then there's mouth church. They're on the street corner at City Hall. They're in the courthouse advocating against injustice and unrighteousness, correcting oppression, bringing justice to the fatherless, and pleading the widow's cause. And then there's Hands Church. They're, they're out there being the hands and feet of Jesus, meeting the physical needs of the homeless and the impoverished, taking to action the words of Jesus when he said, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do also unto me. And then there's, there's Feet Church. They're quite literally taking the good news door to door to ensure that everyone in our cities had the opportunity to hear the gospel, embodying Romans 10, 15, where Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And the list could go on and on and on, but you get the idea. Each and every one of these things is needed. And wisdom would say, double down on what God has gifted you with and let's celebrate our diversity because the body is made up of many members. You guys, the gospel has made us counterparts. That's to say we need one another, both here in this church as well as from one church to another in our city. And to this end, at Convergent Church, we celebrate the gifts of each believer and the particular strengths of each local assembly because together our city encounters a more holistic picture of Jesus. We celebrate the gifts of each believer and the particular gifts of each local assembly because together our city encounters a more holistic picture of Jesus. And because of this reality, as a local church, get this, we don't have to try and be everything to everyone. Because Convergent Church, if we're trying to do everything, how well are we really doing anything? How well are we really serving anyone? So when a need arises within our church or in our community, before frantically and scatteredly trying to like pull together resources and, and make a new ministry to meet the need, collaboration says, is there another church in our community that's already doing this well that we can get behind with 
people or with resources. That's our, that's our starting point. Because the gospel has made us counterparts. A great example list that I often use is food pantries. How many food pantries are there in the city of Owasso? I don't know for sure, but I know there's more than a half dozen. I feel like there's probably closer to a dozen. And some of them, they're open one day a week. Some of them, they're open one day a month. Some of them do it on a quarterly basis. So my question is, collaboration would say, why don't we look across the lay of the land of the churches in our city and see who is doing these things well. Who, what one church has the system, has the structure, has the capacity to do it with excellence. And instead of having a half dozen subpar food pantries that people have learned to abuse, we have one really great food pantry that's open 365 days a year. Just a thought. So by way of application, what good things are happening in churches across our city that we can give God praise for today? I know this is counterculture, right? Normally we're so inward looking, but like for a moment, let's just look out. Think about the other churches that you know of in town. Think about the other churches that you visited. And and what's one thing that we can give God praise for that they're doing? Listen, I'm just as guilty as the next person at, at dwelling on the negative experiences I've had with other churches in our community. But what if instead of throwing out the baby with the bathwater, we celebrated and accentuated the distinct gifting that God has bestowed upon them. What if we could find a way to collaborate around that so our city encounters a more holistic Jesus? So what can we give God praise for today? Because the gospel has made us family and the gospel has made us counterparts. And this brings us to our final point this morning. That's this, the gospel makes us co-laborers. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter three, and we'll be in verses four through nine. One says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul here is addressing some divisions that had manifested themselves in the Corinthian church surrounding which leader they were following. You see, Paul had planted this church in Corinth. He was their pastor for 11 and a half years, but then he moved on to start another church. And in his absence, a a church leader by the name of Apollos stepped in, and, and he was teaching, and he was preaching. He had been ministering to them in Paul's absence. The problem here is that the members of the church began dividing over which leader they were following, which leader they were giving their allegiance to. And and Paul's response is, he's like, yo, Apollos and I, we're nobodies. (laughs) We're nobodies. We're both just servants of our King Jesus. We're the waiters. He is the chef. God is the one who gives growth and produces the increase. Don't swear your allegiance to either of us. Rather, give your allegiance to God. 
Here's what's incredible about this. Though Apollos had gained an allegiance and reaped the spiritual harvest in Paul's absence, Paul didn't view Apollos as his competitor, but rather his co-laborer. Paul may have sown the seed of the gospel. Apollos may have watered it and may have reinforced it, but it was God who produced the increase in their midst. But even more, verse eight, Paul says, he who plants and he who waters are one. Paul is saying, Apollos and I are in union with one another as brothers of Christ. We are but fellow workers in the field. We're laboring towards the same end. And thus the people they were ministering to, the sheep of the flock, didn't belong to either one of them, but to God, and he produced the harvest which is what led Paul to say in verse nine, he said, you are God's field, God's building. There's a family that began joining us for worship here at Convergent way back when we were still meeting in a living room. I say way back, it was like three years ago. But there's a family that had joined us when we were still meeting in a living room and they stayed with us for about two years. Jameson and I had sown so many gospel seeds into them. We'd had so many difficult conversations surrounding the, the teachings of the Bible. And in the end, they left Convergent and they, they never told us why and they had never surrendered their lives to Jesus. And let me tell you, as a pastor, like, there's nothing more heartbreaking than that. There's nothing more heartbreaking than pouring yourself out into somebody, meeting their need, trying to help them follow Jesus just for them to having walked away and having never placed their faith in Jesus. Well, a year went by, and about a month ago, a leader from another church in town reached out to me and said, hey, you know such and such that used to go to your church? I said, yeah. He said, they've been with us for a little while now. They just placed their faith in Jesus, and they're getting baptized next week. Exactly. And in that moment, it wasn't jealousy in my heart. It wasn't sorrow. It wasn't grief, but rather it was pure joy because what we had planted, someone else watered and God produced the increase. Convergent Church, the other churches in our community are not our competitors, but they are our co-laborers in the gospel. That means when they win, we win. And when we win, they win. Because ultimately, it's Jesus who wins. Together, we work towards the same end, to see sinners saved and God glorified. His kingdom advances as he produces the increase. But contrasting, like, what happens when a team isn't working towards the same end? Think about that, 2000, or that 2004 Lakers team that we first began talking about. They had some incredible talent. They had some once-in-a-generation gifts. But when they began to esteem themselves over the whole, as they began to esteem themselves of individuals at the, expense, at the expense of one another, all that remained was fractures and failure. Are not local churches often guilty of this exact same mentality? We esteem ourselves higher than we ought while diminishing the good work of others. In Mark 4, 24 through 25, Jesus had this to say, 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that, ha- that house will not be able to stand. Church, we live to bring Jesus' kingdom to our city, to see him worshiped here in the city of Owasso as he is in heaven. But that vision is too big for us to accomplish on our own. In turn, God has made us co-laborers with the other churches in our community to this end. In and of ourselves, right, we could grow, we could do some good things. But if we're more concerned about building our own brand than building the kingdom, we'll never see Jesus' kingdom come to our city because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And it's to this end, it's to this end that we value collaboration. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, I'd like to take us back to that question that we first began with. In what ways does the gospel compel us towards collaboration? The gospel has made us family. The gospel has made us counterparts. And the gospel has made us co-laborers. There's no clearer picture of Jesus' desire for his church than what we see in John 17, 21 through 23, when Jesus is praying to his father and he says, I pray that they may all be one, talking about all Christians. He says, I pray that they will all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world would believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as you and I are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is our aim. This is the outcome that we are laboring towards. Our collaboration is the means by which our city will know that Jesus is the Son of God. Convergent Church alone cannot bring Jesus' kingdom to Owasso. Convergent church alone will not see the city of Owasso transformed by the gospel. Rather, it takes every church playing their part, owning their unique role, and linking arms together to see our city one to Jesus. So before I let you go, while we, while we value this collectively as a church, I wanted to give you some tangible ways that you can put your hands to the work of collaboration in a personal way this week. This week. So let me address the the unbeliever before the believer. If you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sin, today is this day of salvation. Hear me when I say you don't have to clean yourself up because if you're honest with yourself, you've tried, right? It doesn't take, it doesn't work. So rather, Jesus invites you now just to come as you are. Because his death was sufficient to pay the price for all of your sin. He says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove those sins. He's washed you white as snow if you'll but place your faith in him. So the application for you this morning, if you haven't trusted Jesus, is to place your trust in Jesus. Receive adoption into this family of God, and there will never be another day that you have to walk alone. Now, what about believers? What about those of us who have already placed our faith in Jesus? I would say the first thing that we can do this week to to put into practice collaboration is to exercise gratitude. 
Take time to thank those who've encouraged you throughout the years in your walk with Jesus. Take time to, to make a list and to think about who are those people that first sowed the seeds of the gospel in you? And then over the years, who are those who came along and who watered those seeds? You're going to see a lot of collaboration in that list because I guarantee you, as you look at that list, it's not just gonna be made up of people from Convergent Church. There's gonna be lots of other people there. So take the time to reach out to them and to thank them. Exercise gratitude. Secondly, pray for the churches in our community, especially the ones that you disagree with. Pray for the churches in our community, especially the ones that you have a hard time wanting to pray for. Pray for their spiritual health. Pray for their, their reformation and their revival. Pray that the gospel would go out boldly and that many sinners would be saved. Pray to this end, because here's the reality. We can't reach everyone, right? You and I, we each have a limited sphere of influence, and there's 15,000 people in this city. There's 69,000 people in this county. So, so what happens when somebody comes to Convergent Church and it's not a great fit and they leave? They're going to go somewhere else. So we should care just as much about the health of the other churches in the city of Owasso as we do our own. Let's make that our personal task this week to pray for the churches in our community. So exercise gratitude, pray for the churches. And thirdly, connect with other believers outside of Convergent. Connect with other believers outside of Convergent. Think about it for a moment. How did you ever come to believe the things that you believe? Had not somebody along the line, multiple people along the line, pulled you in and said, hey, have you ever thought about it this way? You may have friends that go to other churches. Connect with them this week in an act of collaboration. I would say, especially any that you may have burned bridges with. Listen, there was a time when Jameson and I, we weren't so fond of each other. And those of you who've gone through church partnership, like you've heard that story. But even more than not being particularly fond of each other, there was a time when we were in vastly different places theologically. But we got together. We got some coffee. We started talking about the things that make us different. But then we started talking about the things that we had in common. And as iron sharpens iron, we began to refine one another. And I can honestly say that neither one of us are the men that we were 10 years ago as a result of that relationship with one another. Right? 10 years ago, we were in different churches. We were believing vastly different things. But God used one another to move us and to shape us and to mold us. So what might more he do in your relationships Exercise gratitude, pray for the churches in the community, and connect with other believers outside of Convergent. Because Psalm 133.1 says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Church, may we be a people in this community who are marked by our togetherness. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that the gospel has taken those of us 
who were enemies and made us family. We thank you that the blood of Christ has brought us near, that we've been reconciled to you. But not only that, Lord, but that you've reconciled us to one another and you've sent us out on mission in this city as your family. God, we thank you that you've made us counterparts. God, I thank you for the unique way that each believer here in this room has been gifted. God, may we never lose sight of the fact that we need one another. No one person is indispensable. No one gift is sufficient, Lord, but that together we can accomplish the extraordinary. And God, I thank you that it doesn't just stop there, but that you've made us co-laborers with all Christians in all places. And God, we long nothing more than to see you worshiped here in our city as you are in heaven. But God, we know that we're only good at a couple of things. The church down the street, they're only good at a couple of things. So God, may, will you open the door for us to be able to collaborate with other churches in our community so that our city can see a more holistic picture of Jesus? God, will you produce the increase in us? We pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.